Hi everyone, this is International Society of Hypertension Podcast. I'm Associate Professor Francine Marques from Monash University, Australia, and my co-host is Dr. Augusto Montesano from the University of Glasgow, Scotland. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, today, it's my pleasure to introduce to you Professor Pari Chacha, the Director of the Help Innovation and Transformation Center at Federation University in Australia. Uh, I had the pleasure to do my first postdoctoral training with Paddy, so uh, I'm really looking forward to having a chat with him today. So Professor Chacha is a Professorial Research Fellow at the University of Melbourne and also Visiting Chair at the University of Leicester. He was also the Dean of the Graduate Research School and Entering Deputy Vice-Chancellor of Research at Federation University. He is the president of the International Society of Heart Research uh, of the Australasian section, as well as at the ISH, the treasurer. Uh, he is internationally recognized uh, in his expertise on genetics of cardiovascular disease. And as I said, it's a pleasure to have Fadi with me today. Thank you, Fadi. Thank you, Francine. It's good to see you too and <laughs> talk to you today. <laughs> and so let's get straight into our questions. So the first thing I wanted to ask you, if you can tell us a little bit about your story and how you uh, ended up in science, in hypertension, uh, and overall that like you crossed the world to um, the UK, you came back to Australia. Tell us a little bit about all of that. Oh yeah, no problems. Um, well, I think I always had a fascination of, you know, I think what attracted me to science is microbiology, to be honest, or even genetics. I was always interested in these little creatures that we can't see, and I wanted to study them. So I had this interest in doing microbiology to start off with. So I started off doing my first degree um, in uh, did a biological sciences in the sort of hope of doing uh, microbiology. I didn't know much about genetics, I have to say, at that stage. But then when I started doing my degree, I got this interest in genetics. And in particular, we looked at human genetics, and that was, you know, really fascinating. It was a fascinating, exciting time um, to do that um, in the 90s. And it was, there was a lot happening, as you can imagine, with people talking about the human genome sequence. And I worked, and I particularly was inspired by some of the lecturers that I had, um, and in particular, Professor Jenny Graves, who was a real, you know, I should say mentor now. She's one of my mentors throughout the years. Um, and real inspiration and a, a fantastic scientist. Um, how I fell into hypertension is after I finished my first degree and I wanted to do my honours degree, as you do in Australia, the extra year, you know, where you have finished, um, after you finish your bachelor's. Um, and I was shocked around and I'm looking around and I noticed actually um, before a summer scholarship with the National Heart Foundation. <laughs> that I saw with, and it was with uh, Stephen Harrop at the time, <laughs> who obviously some of you would know was the ex-president of the International Society of Hypertension. And I didn't know any of that, of course, at that time, but the project was interesting. It was looking at hypertension genetics and looking at um, studies in the hypertensive rat and so forth. And this is how I fell into hypertension, actually, by sort of chance. And also it's how I fell into the ISH because Stephen's link with it. And I remember during my honours year, I attended the first meeting, which fascinated me, all these people in, in I think it was 1995, and it was in Melbourne, and it was an yeah. amazing meeting. Famous Melbourne meeting. <laughs> so yeah. it was a bit of an eye-opener of, you know, all these famous people in there that I was reading papers by them and chapters and stuff. 
And yeah, and it just it's history after that, I think. <laughs> I've been doing it for the last whatever years, number of years, 20 years or so. Um, so how how did you end up in the UK? Um, so after my I finished my PhD with Stephen, I, I went up to him and I said, Stephen, I'm interested, because I was interested in the Y chromosome. That's because of Jenny's work on it and stuff like that. I said, oh, I wonder if I could do some work on Y chromosome and genetic and um, hypertension or cardiovascular disease. I thought there must be some, you know, men get more heart disease than women, right? I thought maybe the Y plays a, uh, um, you know, something in there. So he put me in touch with um, Anna Dominicek at the time. <laughs> so I, I sent her an email out of the blue. I said, um, dear Professor Dominicek, do you have any you know, <laughs> postdoctoral position. And I was so surprised. She goes, yes, um, I, I have one. And um, that was after my, that was my second postdoc, because I did my first postdoc with Jenny. So my first postdoc, I wanted to go back and look more genetics. So I did Y chromosome. And then I went back to Stephen and I said, um, you know, I want, um, who does Y and cardiovascular disease? And he brought me for, in touch with Anna. And that was it. That I spent five years there. And I got a Wellcome Trust Fellowship at that time and then I um yeah I had a great time <laughs> that's how I ended up there. and then in the UK I spent some time with Professor Neil Samani and Mark Caulfield and so I moved along the best people that work in the same in that field at the moment as you know Francie yeah, well, <laughs> yeah that's that. amazing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's been an amazing opportunity uh yeah, to meet great. all of those people and learn from them yeah yeah, yeah. fantastic and Fadi, you have, uh, since I have known you, been in several of the committees of the International Society and so many other committees. Yeah. You were the one who got me <laughs> to sit in committees through the <laughs> ISH as well. Um, yeah. I was wondering if you can comment if uh, sitting in, like, sitting in these committees can be sometimes very time consuming. Hmm. I was wondering if you can comment on the benefits that sitting in this committee has brought to you uh, personally, but also professionally. Hmm. I think tremendous amount of benefit in terms of, you know, meeting the best scientists in the field, right? That's what you want to do in science. You want to meet people, you want to collaborate. So that gave me the opportunity to, you know, first of all, meet these people and to talk to them and to make friends and to make mentors and, you know, and, you know, to feel like you have some sort of, um, camaraderie with your colleagues and within the field and have some sort of say, right? And, you know, these committees give you a voice, I think, rather than just sitting in your own lab and doing work, which we all could do and write grants. But, you know, science is a lot of, is more, more and more about now collaboration more than just working on your own. Unless you're a specific genius who knows something incredible, <laughs> I think you need to collaborate. So that's the benefit of committees for me. So it's multi-layered. Um, on that regard, you know, I met many friends, many collaborators, many um, people that I talked to, you know, postdocs <laughs> and so forth, you know. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. Um, so a big topic for our podcast is about mentoring. So I have a few questions for you about mm -hmm. mentoring. The first is if you can define your mentorship experience in one word. Invaluable, I think. You know, it's, you know, I don't think I'll be where I am if it wasn't for mentorship. Because, you know, well, I remember being, you know, first being doing, going into the lab and going, oh, what, what the hell is this all about? You know, you go from undergrad. You know, if it wasn't for the people that mentored me, like Stephen and, you know, and other people along the way, Jenny, I would have like been done, oh, God, what is, you know, you, you need it. 
and and obviously many other benefits. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, um, okay, so my next question was uh, if you thought mentoring was important and that's <laughs> clearly a yes. So I'll move on. Um, was there any uh, particular time in your career that you realized you needed a mentor? Oh, oh my God. I think maybe in, even an undergrad, you realize, you know, I started forging, talking to lecturers and stuff. You really realize you need to, what is, what is the point of all this studying and doing things? And I think even then, back then, you know, mentorship started being important for me. As I said, I started talking to Jenny out of interest, and, you know, and she was amazing. She spent time with me telling me what I should do and this and that, you know, that's, um, yeah, so even undergrad has started for me, I would say. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And is there any time in your career that you felt that now that you're like a very well established and senior, do you still see a role for mentors now? Oh, absolutely. Still do. Yeah, I do. Yes, because, you know, we never, um, I think, learn enough in life and always, and mentors become, you know, it changes the role of mentors. They become your friends too in the long term if they're good mentors and you still learn from them. You know, there's always someone ahead of you right in your career or someone who's also so your peer can be your mentor they don't have to be someone who's you know your peer can mentor you and help you so yes i do actually and i still have mentors <laughs> at this stage yeah. of my life many of them <laughs> yep i relate to that yeah mm -hmm. and uh, what is your mentoring style and can you give us any examples of how you have helped your mentees I should ask you that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hands off, as you know. I like to encourage people and let them fly, you know, and talk when they need to and tell them, you know, because none of us know more, much more, but we've had experiences in life that guide us along the way. And I think we can tell the other person our experiences because it might be right, might not be right for them. So my style is just like we're doing now, just have a talk and see if the person likes what you're saying or... As a mentor, <laughs> that's what you're asking, right? Yeah. yeah. So that would be my style of mentorship. I don't like, I'm not a structured person in terms of I tell them, do this, go back, do this, come back to me. No, I'm not into that. I think mentorship is, should be very free-flowing. No, I agree. And I agree that I also, um, I also expect my mentees to drive the relationship. Yeah, and yeah. come and tell me what they want. So I think it's similar to what you're describing. Yeah. And, and mentors have to be honest, I think. That's really important. Otherwise, you just, you know, if you're not honest in your mentorship, you sort of, you know, you can tell us, well, oh, you're doing great, blah, blah, blah. No, but that's not the role for mentor. The mentors also to, you know, they can spot sometimes when someone's going up the rail, they go, oh, maybe you should think about doing this way and that way, you know, without being afraid. And that's, about building relationships, right? Like anything in life. So, yeah, so I asked you to give me some examples of ways that you have helped your mentees. So I can tell you from a personal experience, I think like a big way was actually uh, introducing me to the society and getting me to be, to actively participate in committees has been incredibly helpful to my professional uh, growth. Yeah. Um, other ways, would be to incentivize me to become a co-supervisor of students and get that first experience. 
hands-on supervising as well uh, and helping others as a, a mentor. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> um, you know, there's many, many ways you can help them. And, you know, experience, it differs with people, you know. The different people like to be mentored in a different way. And, you know, you went off and did your career thing. And obviously in the middle there, you also had an illness and some other people had babies. And, you, know, but you have to tailor your mentorship <laughs> in many ways. Yeah. I, you know, especially if, and people can go off the rail too and you can try and help them with mentorship. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but you, know, you do your best. And what traits do you think a good mentee has? Someone who's... Well, you know, someone who's not afraid to ask, I think, is a good trait. Um, ask, and someone who's respectful too, you know, to understand that the mentor also is giving you time. You know, so respect their time and respect what they're trying to tell you. If you don't have that, you don't, you know, you don't, you're not going to gain much from your mentor. And someone who's also willing to change, I think, or, you know, and change their ways and take sometimes criticism in a good way. Yeah, you know, constructive criticism. And most of the best mentor, mentees I've had, I think, are people who are self-motivated too. They don't have to run over, you know, after them and tell them. <laughs> Again, like yourself, Francine, who's very self-motivated, right? You know, if you're not, he's just going to sit in your corner and not achieve anything. Yeah, but I, I think you highlighted some key aspects that being willing to receive feedback and act on feedback is really important yeah. uh, because otherwise there's no purpose in uh, a mentor spending time no. to try to give you some advice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and something that is really important for um, junior researchers is sometimes to identify a good training environment so yeah. do you have any advice on how they can do that? Uh, like find somewhere to go and work? or is that Yeah, friend? yeah. Like yeah. how to find a good place to go, like to study a PhD or to do a postdoc? Look, I, I think, you know, you try and work with the people you think are the best people in the field to start off with and try and meet this person and see if you get on, you know. That would be my advice. Don't be afraid, you know. If you want to work, you know, in the microbiome, you work with the best people, right? And, you know, people who are making a change in that field. And you, that's what I would be my last contact the best people and see how you get on. And if you like it, you know, go on. And then it's never the end of the world, is it? <laughs> you always learn from different people, different supervisors. And you might lucky and end up with the best, nicest person who does the best work in the yeah. field. And uh, do you have any advice? Because, uh, for example, I get a lot of emails requesting positions and I can't accommodate everybody. Do you have any suggestions of how from the emails you get, you actually select someone that you think might be suitable? What, what brings that sparkle that you say, this person actually might be good? Or the way that they approach that you actually take a little bit more time reading and replying? Well, it's, um, I don't want 20-page emails because I think no one's got time to read. Um, it, there's something about people, the way they express themselves, you know, the way they're, they're serious, you know, they're, they're the way they want to join you, you know, for a reason, for a, you know, a particular reason. I think you can spot it. I don't think there's magic. You can spot the good people most of the time, but sometimes you can be forced. But, um, you know, and, you know, you need to meet them and talk to them, obviously. That's the best way to tell if you they're gonna you're gonna get on and you're gonna gain anything from them and you, you're, you're meaning like mentorship committee and stuff like that is that what you mean yeah 
Yeah, it's a tough one. I'll try it, you know. It's hard because sometimes you have more people than <laughs> their spaces. But that's everything in life, right? We all can't do the same thing. That's great. Yep. And that's something that probably applies to me more than to you, but I think you're going to have great advice about this. So I find a lot of people intimidating and I have trouble sometimes, like if I'm in a conference, uh, especially when I was uh, doing a postdoc to go into someone that I found intimidating and saying hi. Mm. Do you have any advice for people like myself that find other people intimidating to talk to? Uh, it's, uh, I remember it, Francine. It's not that old. <laughs> I do remember what I felt like that. Too. And we still feel intimidated. If I was going to meet the Queen of England one day, I will be. That's true. <laughs> different people in the night. You know, it's just, I guess, you know, to meet, to meet someone at a conference where you can go up on the set, though, and see. And this is where situations like mentorship events, like, you know, a whole life stage, give the chance to these young people. Take that opportunity because they're, the, the people are relaxed there, you know. You're not running around and trying to give a talk and go to a committee meeting. They're, they're in there, they have a drink, they're having a bite. This is the best chance to come and talk to people and, you know, make sure they know you. And, you know, that's how I think that they're the best ways to meet people. And that's why these events are really, uh, really valuable, you know, to find the events where these people are going to be relaxed, I say, you know. Or maybe after, you know, sometimes I've talked to people after lectures, you know, you feel a bit, you know, and say, what a great talk, thank you for, you know, just make them known. And, or, you know, so conferences are usually in the middle of conference, not the best time to meet people. because Everybody's running around. And, you know, <laughs> I, find, I used to find it intimidating too. You know, I can go, if you go and make an appointment with someone and, you know, if you don't, if you're not successful during the conference, Send them an email and say, I'd like to talk to you and meet you on Zoom now. You know, it's so easy. So, you know, that's easier too. Yeah, it's not introductions online. and well, There is no conferences for the last two years, so a lot of us have had to do that, right? Yeah, true. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Twitter is also a good one. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, getting to know people first. Yeah, and um, I have a new question yeah. for you. Um, I never asked anyone this, but I think it's something that has been coming up a lot when we talk to people. Have you ever experienced imposter syndrome? Imposter syndrome? How do, what, what is the description of some people? Uh, oh, okay, you haven't heard of it. Yeah, so it would no. be the feeling that uh, you don't belong and that at any moment someone is going to find out that you shouldn't be there, that in, in my case that I shouldn't be a lab head. Why shouldn't yeah. be chairing this committee? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So feeling well, self insecurity, isn't it? A bit of feeling a bit insecure at times. Yeah, yeah. I guess you could put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yes. <laughs> I feel that sometimes, and it's different that there's an imposter syndrome when you're feeling like it's not. I guess when you're feeling like, wow, I'm done really well, and you don't believe it. It's, is it different to that? Because you know, it feels a bit more. Well, I'm not a psychologist, but it feels like, you know, you feel insecure a bit. You know, how do I? And maybe it's something to do with where do I go next, right? We're all thinking, I've done this now. What do I do next? Yeah, for me, it's more like, for example, I'll, I'll get an award and then I'll realise, like, it would be like that moment of joy. And the next moment is like, what people are going to think that I got that award? Did I deserve that? They're not. They are not going to think that I deserved it. 
yeah. or I'll publish a paper. I'm really proud of the paper. As soon as we share the paper, I'm then terrified that people are going to read the paper and they might think that perhaps that paper didn't belong to that journal. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Yeah, and there's always that risk, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it's a normal insecurity. You feel, you know, a bit nervous about it. I think that's a normal feeling. Most of us would feel it. And there's also the come down when you've achieved so much and you achieve something and you're excited about it and then you come down and as I said, what name? So yeah, link yeah, that. Next, yeah. yeah. That's a very good point. Yeah, because that, yeah, after you have like done like a big study and mm. it's uh it's done. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's uh it's a funny feeling, isn't it, that uh sometimes I feel we rush so much through um the achievement yeah. that we don't celebrate it enough no, before no. we actually you take time to the pressure, pressure yeah. to do more and more. Yeah. But you should enjoy it and should feel happy with it. But that's life, isn't it? It shows you're human, that thing, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good thing. Yeah. It's a good good thing to feel, I think, that imposter syndrome, because otherwise you'd be, you know, narcissistic and, <laughs> and a narcissistic person. We don't, you know, feel it's just not normal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And um, I wanted to ask you some questions now about diversity and uh, inclusion, because I think that's a, a really important topic uh, these days around science. Um, what do you think the biggest barrier around diversity and inclusion is, and how do you think we can change it as part of um, the Asian hypertension research in general? Mm, I think in general, medical research has always been <laughs> low on diversity in all forms because it wasn't seen mm -hmm. as acceptable. Um, what could we do about it? I think we sort of, a lot of, well, a lot of universities have introduced ways to help, you know, diversity within. And I think the societies have a big role to play and young people like yourself, I think you are more accepting of diversity and encourage it. And then... <laughs> is really the, the way to deal, tackle it. I think you, you, the next generation, just like climate change, you know, you're dealing with diversity, but you have a lot of issues you're dealing with. Um, and that's changing. I think it's just changing by itself. It's the nature of it. You know, you're more open, you're more accepting. And so that's how it's changing. You know, no matter what, you know, systems we put in place, I think the protection systems are important and to make sure that you protect people who are diverse and encourage them to be involved in your groups. So I think it's your jobs. <laughs> I'll give it to you, Francine, in your committees to make sure that diversity is represented because that flows on to the next, you know, level. With the fifth, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and I think also like as we're coming to another election at the ISH, yeah. that we think about how we can make sure that the representation of the yeah. council uh, yeah. and the committees uh, that best. I think that has come a long way. You know, we have, you know, we came with the, the women in half change, which I was on too, the, you know, which I think it's good for women. But we need to expand that, I think. I think it's not enough anymore to just say women in half tension. What about all the other, you know, minority groups and diverse groups? I think that's really important. And we have... And you know, critical mission, and I've, I'd like to see you, Francine, personally, and your committee being involved in making sure that diversity is represented. Yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, no, definitely something for us to talk uh, about for the next year. Yeah. yeah. And do you have any advice specifically for women and other underrepresented groups in hypertension research? 
god yeah that's uh, <laughs> well you know it's advice in terms of what how to get in there how to yeah how, how to stay there <laughs> yeah, i think to... like uh, there's so much evidence that uh, uh, women in particular they are well represented in junior levels, but the issue is that as uh, uh, women get more senior, we lose a lot of them uh, during uh, um, yeah. yeah doing research. We lose them to other fields. We lose them to other sectors. Uh, do you have any advice of how we can support women to stay in hypertension research? Look, I, I think you know things like the women hypertension is designed to tackle things like that. You know, make sure that women get advice and support throughout their you know career. And whether they go for maternity leave or they have kids, that they're still in touch with the society. I think that's our job. So my best advice probably is to stay in touch, you know. And I think if you if you have a child or so, don't just disappear. And keep in touch with the societies that will keep you updated and and you know current because things change so quickly. And I wouldn't dare speak for women, but I think it's up to you guys if you want to, if you want it. We're here to help you, you know, right? And to make sure that you, uh, you know, don't feel scared to come back and, and say, I want to be part of this, because that's, we're ready to help, I think. Yeah, I, think I think that's a really important message that the leadership of the ISH is uh, really supportive of uh, yeah. women in hypertension research and diversity and wants to be inclusive. So I think and that's empowerment. a really You've got to empower people, right? And, you know, I think the old, you know, maybe if you looked at the ice age 20 years ago, it would have been a completely different ballgame, wouldn't it? <laughs> You'd see what it looked like. You'd be horrified. <laughs> it has changed a lot, you know. Even our members are, you know, membership base has changed a lot in terms of diversity and, and you know, gender balance and so forth. And I think something that I would like us as a society to consider exploring is reverse mentoring, which is what you're saying, like, when we have minority uh, or underrepresented groups that can uh, reverse mentor our leaders to talk about the issues that they face. So we can actually look for change and action uh, on those items that are particularly relevant for those groups. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because I, I think what you said is also important that uh, um, sometimes it's hard for us when we are not necessarily in those underrepresented groups to design strategies that are effective to what they need to be included so it's, um, you know it's up to the person and i always i believe that really you know, it's up to the person to to make them we need to make them stronger to come up and be empowered rather than do making whatever you know you've got to do all this for it yeah yeah i think i think the empowering is really important i find sometimes that there is so much pressure that like myself as a woman, that I need to be driving change. And I think it is so important that we have a supportive network that can help us to do that. And we need to, to I think we need to be understanding of what different people need at different times in their lives and where they are. At. And that's really important. Rather than being saying, we all have to be on that up trajectory the whole time in our life. You know, sometimes you might want to just have a rest, take a break, have a baby, come back, do this. Nice, and yeah. that's not just for men and women too now. Men and women, not just women, sorry. You know, I think the opportunities. Hmm. Yeah, and my last question for you, Fadj, is about um, the pandemic. So as you know, in, uh, in Melbourne, for example, we had a huge impact with uh, research being stopped for a very long time, many times. Hmm. Uh, and that has been this 
case in many other areas in the world. Um, I have heard a lot of people talk about funding that a lot of charities have less money uh, and a lot of research has been, uh, particularly from, for junior researchers, has been impacted. I was wondering if you have any ideas of how we as a community can support our junior researchers better uh, now after the pandemic. God, it's a good question, really. It's um, I think we need to drive more funding towards junior researchers um, in, a, in a big way. Um, I mean, I can talk for Australia. That's really important. It's probably the same in many other countries. Uh, but hopefully we're coming out of it. But, you know, there's other things happening in the world that's, again, making things harder for everybody. You know, we might have inflation, you know, because of the war and so forth. So I think we've got to be wary. That's not going to end within the next few months. It might take a few years. Um, but, yeah, I'd be in favour of driving more funding towards junior researchers. And, you know, to su have support them during that period. Yeah, I think that that's a really important point because uh, there has been such a dip in the funding opportunities. Even, yeah. yeah. But there's also opportunities with the pandemic. I think absolutely opportunity, opportunities for change. Stop thinking the way we did for twenty years. I think, you know, I think science the way we look at it and research is changing quickly. Like the old ways of doing things are just getting defunct, you know, the speed of it, you know, the, um, the amount of, um, you know, thinking that what we could innovate, what we could do, it's just changing so much, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, and there are many positive changes, as well as you mentioned, like being able to attend conferences remotely and meet people yeah. remotely. I think that's one yeah. of the biggest benefits. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, I really enjoyed having this chat thank with you, you today. Me too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to our interview. If you'd like more tips on mentoring, subscribe to our podcast for more interviews with senior and emerging leaders. Stay safe, open-minded and kind.